0: I know you at home may have done it. You may have cut an onion at some point in time, and of course the tears flow. You often wonder, how can I cut an onion without crying? Are you wondering about how to arrange marching band music or audition for Survivor or bathe the guinea pig or even cook Goose Goose? Maybe that last one didn't cross your mind. But Thinking about how you might get a clue to to be happy, to be successful at home and work at being a better partner. It used to be that you'd have to do some serious asking around in order to find out that information, or you might have to head to the library to do some research. Then, of course, came Internet, search engines, all of with the ability to surf the web until your eyes go cross-eyed seems, though, that the internet has gotten even more sophisticated in recent years. One such site in cyberspace that can organize information and help you answer some of your questions is a site called eHow.com. That's right, eHow.com. It's what the name implies, a site where you can learn how to do just about anything. It's a one-stop shop for all do-it-yourselfers. Turn in your how-to question into eHow's search engine, and you may come up with a step-by-step article from many writers for readers to look at, and all those writers are self-proclaimed experts. They're experts on topics from relationships to business and everything else in between, The eHow database has millions of articles and thousands and thousands of videos from more than 13,000 contributors. They add more than 5,000 articles and videos a day. And those articles and videos are placed in one of seven categories, home, health, food, style, money, family, and one that came up a couple of years ago that they started to add to, one called mom. When inquiring minds want to know, eHow delivers. Look through eHow closely, however, and you'll see that there are some holes, if you will, in all of these how-to guides. Type in how to have hope, and you get ideas about how to have inner peace or how to carry on when a loved one dies or while these are important Questions to ask, the advice tends to be pretty individualized. Type in a tougher question for eHow, like how to suffer faithfully. And the only thing that pops up is an article about how to treat a pinched nerve. For some questions, you have to skip the digital database and go straight back to analog, if you will. Suffering faithfully and maintaining hope in the midst of persecution are the kinds of how to's that you can find only in the pages of Holy Scripture. It is a scripture database, if you will. Call it a, a scripture how, not an e how, but a scripture how, a source and a place that you can go to with all of your questions. 1 Peter was written as a how to letter of encouragement. To the churches scattered throughout Asia Minor, churches that had been alienated from the prevailing Roman culture. They were alienated from that culture and they were becoming increasingly slandered and persecuted because of their faith. The evidence from the letter itself seems to indicate that the persecution was more localized at this point, it wasn't so widespread as it was later on when there were campaigns against Christianity. Still, Peter saw the faithful in these communities as exiles, exiles who had left behind the beliefs and the practices of their pagan neighbors and their families, and who now were strangers and aliens in their own hometowns. Refusing to buy into pagan practices and the worldview of their social networks, the members of this community soon became targets for insults, for discrimination, and even, yes, violence. Peter, however, didn't see their situation as necessarily a bad thing. The suffering of these fledgling believers would offer a unique opportunity to share the hope that was within them. It may not be as dangerous to live the Christian life today as it was in the first century Asia Minor, but the truth is the Christian faith is still under attack. Books have been written that blame the violence in the world on religious people, peddle the virtues of pure reason over and against faith. I grant you that what Christians today are going through is not exactly the same as being tossed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum, But the subtle and not-so-subtle jabs at our faith can leave us reluctant to live out and even share our faith. Read the Christian, if you will, response to these kinds of attacks and you see that these Christian responses sometimes are not very Christian at all. Analysts and preachers rail against the secular media. Nasty letters get sent to newspaper editors Tempers and nostrils flare when political issues get discussed in the church. It seems that everyone wants to defend their version of being a Christian and their faith and the rules that come with it. But notice Peter called people to be ready to defend the hope that is in you. The apologetic here isn't about being right and winning any kind of cultural argument. It's about being faithful in the midst of a hostile and troubling time in our culture. If you read this week's passage in that particular context of where we are today, it does read kind of like a list in eHow. How How to have hope, it might be entitled, in the midst of hostility and difficulty. Borrowing from the eHow website approach and expanding the context a bit, you need to include the verses 8 through 12 in this particular chapter. This scriptural DIY project breaks down like this. Step one, you have to begin with an attitude of love. Peter begins in verse 8 by reminding the churches that they must reflect a unity of spirit. By focusing on the primary virtues of the Christian life, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, a humble mind. The sense here is they were to practice these virtues within their own communities until they became habits of faith. Maybe one of the reasons that much of the world views us as gruff and angry and judgmental has to do with the fact that we act this way even in our own church community. It's especially hard to love your enemies if you can't even learn to love your friends or worse, love yourself. We spend a lot of time taking stands on issues and arguing with each other when we should be spending more time on our knees together in prayer, taking on the character of Christ. It's not that we shouldn't be vocal, don't misunderstand me, just that our words need to always be filtered through the screen of God's unconditional love. As we work at developing the habits of love and grace, we can begin to see other people even those who persecute us, as people who are created and loved by God. The second step in this do-it-yourself is to repay evil with blessing. We can't control the attitudes and actions of others towards us, but we can control how we respond. A violent and hurtful world expects reciprocity, and revenge. That satisfaction can only be achieved when you've managed to get even with someone who has wronged you. Peter echoes the words from Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount here in verses 9 through 14 by flipping that assumption on its side. If you want to experience true happiness or being blessed, you need to be willing to repay evil with blessing. That's what the people of God, the followers of Christ, are called to do. Peter cites Psalm 34 in verses 10 through 12 of his letter, and that citation points out the kinds of blessings that believers receive when they choose blessings over curses. The promise of life, the promise of good days, the eyes and ears of God open to their prayers. Repaying evil with good, turning the other cheek, clearly is not a popular notion, even among many Christians who struggle with the possibility of becoming a doormat for those who would take advantage of their nonviolent and non aggressive response and oppress them even more. We're called to bless those who persecute us, to endure unjust suffering if need be. But we're not called to be silent about it. We're to use those times of injustice to make our defense. By speaking powerfully and passionately for God's justice and truth. Jesus, of course, is our prime example. His words from the cross and even in silence in the face of his accusers were not passive. But he revealed a deep strength that was apparent even To his enemies. Our words of love and our attitude of peace. In the midst of slander and persecution. Can speak volumes. When we choose to speak the truth. In gentleness and reverence. We then reveal the hope. That is within us. To those who abuse us. For our good works in Jesus Christ. Hearing those words of hope. Abusers may be indeed convicted. They might be, as Peter says, put to shame by their conduct. One of the other pieces of this do-it-yourself part that Peter's talking about is facing your fears. Peter asks, now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? In a perfect world, that makes sense, right? We'd like to believe that things are fair. And that people get rewarded for doing good and punished for doing evil? But reality, however, is a different animal. People doing good are often the most tantalizing targets in the whole world, where systemic evil works hard to keep the status quo of injustice in place. The truth is that we do often suffer for doing what is right. But even then, Peter says, we are blessed. Do not fear what they fear is a quote from Isaiah, where the prophet was to hold fast to his faith and not be swayed by public opinion. People often fear change. There's a fear of loss of power, a fear that which they do not understand. Rather than address those fears, they lash out at those whom they believe are a threat to them. Despite the threatening thought of having to endure unjust suffering, at the hands of others, we are not to act out of fear. Rather, we are to have a healthy awe and wonder of God, who ultimately holds everyone in the palm of his hand. Suffering will come, but it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. And by doing that, By facing our fear, we can then follow the example of Jesus. If you want to understand the proper way to live out hope in the midst of suffering, Peter says, the best example is Christ. Jesus was crucified unjustly, suffering under the worst human violence and insult one could imagine. Yet his death and resurrection were the ultimate triumph of hope. Of hope. Over injustice and sin and death. It was through that suffering that Christ was able to bring us to God. Jesus' triumph over death enabled him to proclaim hope to the spirits in prison. Those who had died in Noah's flood and those like them who died apart from a saving knowledge of God. Jesus continues to proclaim that message of grace and liberation to you and I. Through our baptisms, which Peter sees as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whenever I officiate at a baptism, whether it's child or adult or youth, I say these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift to us, offered to us, without a price. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, described baptism as a means of grace. That through baptism, we get the offering of God's grace to us. That our guilt and our sin are washed away that we enter into a new promise, a new covenant with God, that we become part of the body of Christ and part of the church. Through baptism, we are reminded that we are children of God and the family of God. And we become heirs to the kingdom. The connection between Peter's ideas might not be clear to us, but he writes that this to help us think about our being baptized into Christ Jesus. We might not understand all that Christ does in the visible, invisible realm or what Christ did between the time he died and was raised from the dead, but what we do know is that we're baptized in God's name, claimed by God in our baptism, and that's closer to where all of us live. If we're baptized into Christ, we can say with the utmost confidence and hope, as did Martin Luther when he was most confused and most tempted, he placed his hand on his head and said, "'I have been baptized.'" God plunged Martin Luther into Christ through baptism. God does the same for you and I. When you're holding on to life by only your fingernails, or when you seem imprisoned by forces you just don't understand, Or when so much of you feels dead, you can hardly touch a spot that even seems alive. Christ is with you. You have been baptized. That's God's promise of faithfulness with each of us. Hold on to that, my friends. If Christ can make a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Christ can get in you wherever you are, get you through whatever you're struggling with. God's grace only awaits our asking for it. And sometimes we need it pretty bad before we get around to even asking. In our baptisms, we take on the results of Christ's suffering for us. We are cleansed from sin, given new life through God's grace. All the things for which we hope for. In Christ, God has taken on the worst. The world can dish out and come out the other side victorious. As Jesus' people, we can respond to the lingering evil of the world. We can respond to the struggling of people feeling isolation and loneliness in this pandemic by not retaliating, by not complaining, by not retreating, but by proclaiming hope. Hope. A hope that's been realized through our baptism through Jesus Christ. A hope that is within us right here and now. We just need to share it with the world around us. What's the big so what here? We have hope. We've been living for how long in isolation, in stay-at-home, and people are upset and complaining. But we have hope. We know there will be an end to the stay-at-home. We have hope. So we are called to share it. Who do you know that's around you that you can reach out to That's staying at home, that is struggling, that is hurting, that is in pain, that's feeling loneliness, depression, is not an essential worker, is struggling to feed their family, to take care of each other? Who can you provide hope to? And that may just be a phone call for some, but others, it may actually be a reaching out with with food, or directing them to where they can get what they need during this difficult time. I said at the very outset of the service that we're almost there. We're almost there. It's time to continue to be courageous. It's time to continue to be hopeful. We've gotten this far together. We can continue on this journey wherever it's leading us, together, because we are not people without hope. Who do you need to share hope with today? And not just today, but every day. As you go out in the world this week, share a word of hope. And if people don't want to hear it, don't retaliate. They might not want to listen, but provide the hope. It's in you. You have been baptized it is in you. And all we need to do is to share it. And that's what Peter was directing the people to do then. You have the hope, share it with each other, lift each other up. And as people see how you act, they will ask you the question why do you have hope? Let me tell you about somebody by the name of Jesus starts a conversation when they ask you that question about hope. Share the answer. Do it with love. Offer grace. But do not lose hope. Amen.